Father Will, can we talk a little bit about a summary of where we've been, what we've talked about so far? And gladly. And it's such a joy to really share the truth that sets us free. And it really is important to know the difference. You know, we, we were taught at a very young age to be body trained, to know the difference between uh, the bathroom and the kitchen, between the, the toilet and, and definitely the soup bowl. Um, and it's important to know the difference between these two bowls, actually. I shared this once, and there's a funny story. Someone's saying it's true that apparently one dad was playing tea with his little girl, and they needed water. So she said, oh, I'll get the water, and came back. And as he was drinking the tea, the wife says, honey, do you know where little daughter got our, our water? You know, she got it from the toilet bowl. So it's really important to know the difference, you know, between um, the, the kitchen and the bathroom, and, and brownies and dog poop. You know, it's really important to know with this compass where, you know, where we're called to go. And so from a very young age, we were body trained. It's so important that we really know uh, the difference. And, and what we're seeing today is this time of confusion. I'm, I'm reminded of, of the 1967 song, you know, that living with your eyes closed is, and it's easy to live with your eyes closed, misunderstanding all that you see. You know, let me take you down um, to Strawberry Field where nothing is real. Nothing to get hung about, strawberry fields forever. And so we're, we're living in a century, you know, we have in this century all this confusion. So a decade later came Phil Collins with his Land of Confusion song, you know. And so this Babel culture, a Babylonian culture of confusion. And, you know, part of it, you know, Dusty, is, is this uh, desire to be irresponsible. If I'm not responsible, then no one can blame me, you know. And there's a sense of uh, relief in that, in this drugged up. Uh, but the reality is without responsibility, there is no authority. And there's no freedom. There's no freedom to love. And so Jesus warns us because of the increase of, of lawlessness. You know, the hearts of many grow cold. Um, and so we need the lens to really, how are we perceiving reality? You know, and so the... It's easy to perceive reality according to our wounds and our very wounded culture of lies and confusion. And to really go through the whole process of repenting and forgiving and renouncing and experiencing the healing of the wounded Christ, the wounded crucified one, to really perceive reality according to Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and life. And so the joyful mysteries speak about family and, and how beautiful family is, especially about youth and women and, and men, their dignity. Um, their vocation, as we see in generations, and also, in, of course, in, in marriages and families. And, um, of course, the opposite is the anti-youth, anti-women, anti-men, uh, anti-generations, anti-marriage, anti this anti-family, as we spoke about in the Joyful Mysteries, uh, as we see Jesus growing in wisdom and aging grace in his family. Then we see Jesus building community in the luminous mysteries. He's building community, and so praying for community. We're, we're, it's part of our nature. It's part of our need. We, we need each other. God created us to, to create communities, to create relationships. Two or three gather together in my name. There I am. We're made in the image and likeness of the Holy Trinity, which is relationship. And so five basic needs and community is forming our authentic identity with healthy relationships and holy purpose that lead to genuine rest and recreation and this covenant building of true unity. And the opposite, of course, is this anti, this, this anti-identity and all the rest, which is really an age of, of addiction, an age of accumulation, age of autonomy, an age of acceleration, and it leads to this age of aggression where it's really a dog-eat-dog, rat-race, anti-covenant 
um, contract where we're treating each other like a commodity uh, to be sold. So can you elaborate a little bit on that, Father, on the last luminous mysteries uh, between covenant and anti-covenant? So yes, the Eucharist versus the anti-Eucharist. Um, and what's happening at the Last Supper, the last luminous mystery, is a, a new Big Bang. So the Big Bang, of course, is a great theory that came from actually a, a Catholic Belgian priest. And this new Big Bang is a new creation. It's a new heavens, a new earth. And Jesus is saying, this is my body given up for you. It's an, it's an explosion of, of not life, but eternal life. And he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood. This, this Eucharistic revival is so needed today. The opposite of the Eucharist is the anti-Eucharist, which is the love of money. And we see how the love of money leads to this, this age of aggression culture of greed where uh, people uh, have their value is how much money they can make or how much we can get out of them. So we have all kinds of industries out there. I mean, it reminds me of the 1946 uh, movie, you know, It's a Wonderful Life, where Mr. Potter says to George Bailey, you know, it's right at the, the stock market crash, you know, the beginning of the Depression. And he, of course, he was a banker and didn't have anything left. And so Mr. Potter says to George Bailey, you know, you're, you're worth more dead than alive. And that, this is the culture of death where the abortion industry makes lots of money. You know, pornography industry, lots of money. There's this, this new movie out, Sound of Freedom. The sex trade selling children is a billion-dollar industry, much more than, than U.S. sports franchise. So what we're dealing with is this culture of death that loves money, values money. If it makes money, it's good. And so um, it's a lot of it's a false light from Lucifer himself. And so it leads us to the sorrowful mysteries, again, a new lens of perceiving reality, according to Jesus, who says, come and follow me. So as we look through that lens at the sorrowful mysteries, how do we use that lens of the sorrowful mysteries to perceive society today? Yeah, to perceive. Because again, there's a great deception with perception. <laughs> so we really do have to ask ourselves, what kind of plank log do we have in our own eye? And it really is calling for constant repentance. Jesus begins his whole ministry of saying repent, which is renouncing evil and believing in the good. Repent and believe. That, that's our baptism. To really live our baptism leads us not just from the, from the it leads us from the baptism of water to the baptism of blood. And that, that's what we enter into with the sorrowful mysteries. When we're looking now, as Jesus enters into the city of Jerusalem, we're going from family to community to the city or society, to look at society through the lens of Jesus entering into the city of David in his final passion. And we, we see again in the this culture of life and death has a long history, starting with Adam and Eve and, and Cain and Abel, and definitely in the life of Jesus. So here, here's Jesus with the Garden of Gethsemane praying, and meanwhile, it's his disciples that are falling asleep. Here's Jesus being whipped and scourged, and here's Peter denying him three times. Here's Jesus testifying to the truth with a crown of thorns as the king. And here's Pilate saying, well, what is truth? And asking the opinion of the crowds. What should we do with this king? Um, it's Jesus carrying his cross through the narrow gate and the hard road. And Barabbas, you know, following through the open wide gate and easy road. Oh, we see Jesus being crucified on the tree of life. 
And there is a, at least one of the criminals hanging on a tree of death, mocking him, along with all the people below him, come down from the cross. So we see this culture of life is now kind of reaching a climax in the Sorrowful Mysteries. You know, it's interesting, Father, because I think one of the running themes early on here is that we assign meaning to things. We perceive things in a certain way. I, I remember taking a, a course one time where we talked about as humans, we are meaning making machines. Huh. And that becomes, I think, where you're going with this, it becomes the root of a lot of our sin, the way we perceive things. In other words, we might have something that happens to us in life, right? An incident, or we might take a biblical character and say, Okay, what did Cain see with Abel or what did Abel see with Cain, right? We assigned a meaning to something, which then translates many times that flawed perception that we have as human beings into us acting upon that perception. Am I going in the right direction here? Are we, yes, are we really kind of living through our perceived reality and assigning a meaning to that reality? Let's take it a little further. Let's say um, someone, yeah, I ha I'm having a relationship with someone, uh, as we all do in life, and they broke up with me. And it, what does it mean to me? It means that I'm that I that I'm not as good, or that I'm not that I that I'm that I'm not as lovable, or that I'm suffering. Right? Suddenly, I'm suffering. Suddenly, I find myself suffering because I made meaning of something. So. Let's expand on that a little bit. Yeah, that's, that's sure, sure. Uh, we constantly have to, because when we're exposing sin, we're also exposing our wounds because of the sins. We've made bad choices, and because of bad choices, we're, we're deeply wounded. And we're living in a sinful world as well. And So we might be innocent, uh, but we're carrying big, huge wounds that, that come from the fallen free will. Um, I do recommend this book by, by Bob Schutz, uh, Be Healed. And he really goes down from the, the fruits to the roots. Because you can imagine, if you just cut off a weed, <laughs> it'll grow right back. You know, but if you're getting to the roots, we really need to uproot the whole thing. I'm reminded of Jesus says, if you had the faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and cast into the sea. And he speaks about, in a sense, these two trees, the tree of life and the tree of death. And these, this deeply rooted tree of death can be rooted in all of us because of wounds in the most vulnerable time of our life. And that's our childhood. So it's interesting how Jesus will say to adults, I'm reminded of a paralyzed man in Capernaum, and he says to him, seeing the paralyzed man, he says, courage, child, your sins are forgiven. Well, he's not a child. Well, he is. There's a child in all of us that's deeply wounded. And so Jesus commands, let the children come to me. Because again, because of the culture of death, we are deeply wounded. And so he speaks about the seven wounds. And because of these seven wounds, it's the father of lies speaks to those wounds. And right, we're perceiving reality according to the liar who lies to us and curses us. So we feel rejected. That's an authentic wound. And therefore, the liar says, well, you are rejected. And in fact, you're not accepted. In fact, you have no value. You're, you're worthless, you know, and we can believe in that lie. And because of that lie, we're so even more pain that we have to alleviate that pain with finding some kind of vice, some kind of self-medication, 
whether it be the pride, the envy, the anger, the greed, the gluttony, laziness, the lust, which leads to all kinds of idols. And it's just some way of dealing with the symptoms. So I don't have to deal with the symptom. I can run away and escape from reality. And because of that, we have even more wounds because we have all these addictions now. <laughs> and with more wounds, more lies. And with more lies, more vices. And with more vices, again, more idols. And so you can see this cycle getting leading in toward, toward the fires of hell. This author is onto something here because that's very grounded in all of these different theories and all of these different uh, realities that we live in. What does he say about curing that? That's right. So I know it sounds strange. One of the most beautiful things about you one of the most beautiful things about us are our wounds. I mean, we're the image and likeness of Jesus, <laughs> the wounded one. Behold his wounds. And by his wounds, we're healed. This is amazing, and it's hard to believe. It does take a deep breath. It's Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that God can make all things work for good. For those who love him and are called to his purpose, you are loved and called to his purpose. And we can overcome evil with good. And God can make our wounds work for, for good. So interpreting our experience, our perceiving our experience according to the truth. And it's the truth that sets us free. I am rejected. And Jesus says, I too, I was rejected. And I accept you, and I love you. <laughs> you know, I am alone. I was forsaken on the cross, and I am with you, and you're not alone. <laughs> you know, I'm powerless. I can't. I was powerless on the cross, and that's how I overcame evil with good. <laughs> and you too have the power of free will to choose. I'm so confused, you know, and, and Jesus is saying, pray with me. My soul's in deep grief. And yet, if you follow me, I indeed will set you free through the cross. I am the truth that'll set you free. Um, you know, I'm so full of fear. And I was praying, you know, with trembling unto death, you know. And, but I'm perfect love and I cast out fear. Uh, you know, but I am so full of shame and I'm so dirty and worthless. And this is, uh, you're, you're not worthless. You're worthy. And I gladly paid the price for you. <laughs> but I'm, I'm just so hopeless. There's no hope. I'm your hope. And I'm the resurrection life. And I come down to earth for you. <laughs> and you are, you have a great hope that will not disappoint you because of my love being poured into your heart through the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's this truth that leads to, well, I want to be like you then. And to be the image and likeness of God is called virtue. So overcoming pride with humility. Overcoming envy with, with kindness. Overcoming the anger with patience. <laughs> overcoming the greed with generosity. Overcoming the gluttony with, with, with diligence. Overcoming our temperance. And overcoming the laziness with diligence. And overcoming this lust with chastity. And becoming more and more like him then. Then we're free. We're free to do God's works that, that, wow, God can actually work through me, that God can actually speak through me, and, and again, the joy. That's why I recommend all young, young men, if you're not married, become a priest, because it's just the joy of doing his work and speaking his words. God has an awesome plan for you that he created us with his will, and whoever lives and does the will of God will live forever. It's so interesting, Father, because you have... Two paths in life I see overall, I'm, I'm overgeneralizing, but I see people who were raised in Catholic Christian homes that had 
good parents, a good moral compass from the beginning, and we were sort of given the rules, the Ten Commandments and the Beatitudes and all kinds of stuff and said, okay, go try to live your life this way. And they set, off, set us forth in life that way. And then you have another group, the group of kids who didn't have any of that. And then, you know, we both still end up damaged. We both still end up making meaning of things that happen along the way. And so there are kind of two paths there. There's the path that if you live like Christ, if you take the commandments, if you honor God, if you make him the center of everything that you do, you're going to suffer less. Then there's the other path where there's been a lot of suffering, but it doesn't matter because he still loves you and you can still be forgiven and he still values you and he still has a way for you to be redeemed. And it's beautiful. That sounds like what you're pointing at here. Here's, here's, here's a, a paradox, kind of hard to swallow. This is really tough meat to chew on. Um, actually, we see that those who are saints suffer even more. And here you have Padre Pio with the stigmata. I mean, could you imagine being crucified you know, 24-7, 365 days for 50 years? Wow. <laughs> I mean, the excruciating pain that he was in. And we didn't know about the big, huge gash that he had in his shoulder the Which whole Which was, he said, the most powerful wound. Right and the away. most painful wound, right. And, and, but his prayer was, you know, Jesus, forgive me. I don't suffer enough for you. So there's something greater than suffering. Do not be afraid of suffering. There's actually a tremendous joy in becoming like him. And we find freedom even when we can free. Because, again, here's Satan who controls people who are afraid, have a fear of suffering. And so he keeps them persecuted and seduced with all these self-medication lies. And we become trapped. But it's Hebrews chapter 2 speaks about this, that we're, we're set free from the slavery of fear, thanks to Jesus. There's a freedom, and the joy of suffering is called love. And if anyone has fallen in love, you know about it. It's you're, you're, you're gladly suffer for your, your lover, you know, whatever it takes, you know, to win her over, you know. Here, I lay down my life for you, and there's a joy in it. And this, we certainly see that in parents that lay down their lives for their children. There's something greater than avoiding suffering. And again, that's part of the lie of this self-medication comfort culture where somehow suffering is always bad. No, it's not always bad. God can make it work for good. And that's, that's, that's the good news of the birth pangs, the labor pains of giving birth to the children of God. And it's interesting, too, because when you are suffering, one of the things that I've learned only recently, and, you know, it's funny because uh, wisdom is the comb that God gives you when you've already been bald <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> At least that's what it feels like. But one of the things that I've really come to appreciate is that God will not leave you in your suffering either. And that even then, if you imitate Christ... By offering up that suffering for somebody else, I know someone who shared with me very powerfully the other day, when I'm suffering, I, I, I say to God, you know, Lord, I'm suffering right now. I'm hurting. My illness is causing me pain or whatever. I would like to give up this suffering for a child who may be dying of cancer or for some soul in purgatory or something. And it's incredibly healing what you feel when you are imitating Christ in that moment, giving up your suffering the way he did for us. Yeah, that's right. It's, and it's a very important word that everyone really needs to, to remember and put into practice. It's called reparation, to, to, to make up for what is lacking in others. We see that in St. Paul who says, I rejoice in my suffering. In, in my suffering, I, I make up what is for lacking in the suffering of, of, the, of the body of Christ. 
you know, <laughs> then certainly there's a great need for souls who will offer up. So some in a more traditional background, remember that just offered up. And it's true. We constantly need to be offering up that our whole life is living the mass. Pray, brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours, my offering um, and yours may be acceptable and pleasing to God, that our whole life be a sacrifice, an offering acceptable and pleasing for the salvation of souls. And that's what we certainly see in St. Padre Pio. We see in St. Faustina. One of my favorites is Luisa Picaretta, who was bedridden for almost over 60 years, you know, only lived on the Eucharist, and excruciating pain with joy because she was doing reparation, constantly connecting her wounds to the wounds of Christ, to the wounds of humanity. And definitely the great zeal then of, of saints, and may it be our zeal as well, we're all called to be saints, is the zeal for souls. And so this prayer that comes in this month of July, uh, we see July 13th is the reminder of this, the three secrets of Fatima. And this, this uh, first revelation is, is hell. And the prayer that, that Our Lady of Fatima taught us, oh my Jesus, forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell, lead all souls to heaven, especially those in most need of thy mercy. So our suffering in this life is nothing compared to eternal suffering. And we want to save all souls uh, from that eternal suffering. So Paul says, I, the suffering this present is nothing compared to the joy that awaits for us. And so, yes, we greater than suffering is called free will, that we can choose. We can choose not necessarily of suffering or not being suffering, but we can choose how we respond to our suffering, how we perceive suffering. And we're constantly called to perceive and respond suffering according to Jesus, who is the truth and who is the fullness of love. That, so here we have in Our Lady of Fatima this prayer that actually she taught us this prayer on, on July 13th, which is the, I mean, actually June 13th was the time she taught us this prayer. Because what happens is July 13th is you have the First of the three secrets is these three children see hell and the, the fires of hell, and they'll do anything in reparation for, for, for one soul, all souls not to go to the fires of hell. And so, right, it's June 13th, where on the Feast of San Antonio, St. Anthony, who's the patron of lost things, he really is the patron of lost souls as well, also a great saint of really having a zeal for souls. And here's many years later, 1917, Our Lady teaching this prayer, Oh, my Jesus, forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell, lead all souls to heaven, especially those in most need of thy mercy. So suffering, we can't always choose if we're going to suffer or not suffer. We certainly learned that as children to protect ourselves and not put our hands in fire, and that was good. So we need to protect ourselves. It's called survival tools. Survival tools can get in the way. Obviously, Jesus was not thinking survival as he said yes to the cross. And so, yes, we are called to deny yourself, take up our cross daily, renounce the survival tools, deny ourselves, and choose to become a gift of self and even willing to suffering for the salvation of souls. And that's, that's our choice. We have the power to choose with our suffering. Okay, I'm suffering, but I can choose. I can choose how I'll respond. And definitely perceiving reality according to the truth, we can choose to love. Boy, that is so heavy. That is such a hard thing to accept, really, when you are living through a situation where you're giving of yourself for your family, for your spouse, for your parents, when you're sacrificing, you're, you're, you're imitating Christ, right? But it is heavy. Sometimes that cross is heavy. He gives us, as we just discussed, the ability to 
to make that burden less by believing in him. But let's talk a little bit about atheism. I mean, sometimes I think, wow, my life is tough. Like I've gone through some really horrible tests the last few years, but thank God I have my faith. Thank God I have Jesus. What about when you don't? What about when you're an atheist? How does that play into this? Right, right. We are called to be a revelation of God, that, that the people believe in us and through us, they come to believe in God. So we are called to be that revelation, that sacramental uh, presence of Christ in everyone around us. And certainly we do see an increase in atheism. So let's talk about this first luminous mystery. Here you see Jesus in the garden, and three times he's praying to our Father, thy will be done, really in reparation for the three temptations in the Garden of Eden, where Eve, and along with Eve comes Adam, sees that it's you know, the, the forbidden fruit is good for food. It's a delight to the eyes, and it's desirable to make one wise. And so these three temptations, so here we have Jesus three times saying, not my will, thy will be done, thy will be done, thy will be done, three times. And it, he's entering into a dark night of the senses, a dark night of the soul, and a dark night of the spirit. That truth is beyond physical comfort, you know, and, and truth the beautiful, the good, and the true is beyond the social consolations and the spiritual consolations. And to renounce it, we enter into this dark night of going beyond ourselves. And so meditating on communication and even mass media, it's to lead us to the will of God, which is absolute beauty, goodness, and truth. And what we see is just the opposite his disciples falling asleep three times. In a sense, they deny him three times. You know, pray that you may not fall. The Spirit's willing, flesh is weak. And they deny him by falling back asleep in this culture of denial that we're in today, of instead of the beautiful, the good, and the true, we have the ugly, evil lies of a hypersexualized mass media culture of violence and utopias and dystopias. <laughs> And it's easy to be deceived by what we perceive on the, on the lens. And so we, we see this, this is called practical atheism. So we can speak of five atheisms. And the first one is, is a practical atheism is that you can create your own world. In a sense, the sexual revolution is you're an animal to use and be used. The digital industrial revolution is you're just a machine to consume and produce. And this, this, this communist atheist revolution is you're your own God, and you can create your own world, your own virtual world to live in. And if it's true for you, it's true. And so this practical atheism is a cognitive dissonance between belief and behavior. So I might claim to be a believer. I might claim to believe in God, but I'm living as if God doesn't exist. And according to my screen of all the entertainment, God doesn't exist. Or if he does exist, he's just irrelevant to my life. So we do see this, this dissonance happening in a sense of hypocrisy of so-called believers, but the way they're behaving is, is atheistic, as if God doesn't exist. They're creating their own world. And so, yeah, the other atheisms follow. Uh, that's probably the most popular is practical atheism of people are watching. Perhaps, I, I don't know if I said this in the previous episodes, it's worth repeating, of, you know, be careful of your eyes and your ears because what we see and hear can become thoughts. And be careful of your thoughts because they can become beliefs. Be careful of your beliefs because they can become words. Be careful of your words, they can become actions. 
Be careful of your actions, they become habits. Be careful of your habits, they become a lifestyle. Be careful of your lifestyle because they become your destiny. So this compass, you know, where are we going? And we really need this time out, put on the brakes, slow down to really examine, an examination of conscience of what we're seeing and hearing and thinking and believing and saying and doing and behaving because <laughs> it has a destiny with or without God forever. And that's what this is all about. Can you talk to us? How do you connect atheism with the sorrowful mysteries? So you see then, you see the first one, this culture of denial. Then you see Peter denying Jesus three times. And I, I connect that with a material atheism where it denies the reality of the spiritual world. And that's really the, the big one when it comes to the culture of death is when you're separating the spiritual from the material. Uh, you're separating heaven from earth. Um, you're separating uh, church from state. You're separating a freedom from responsibility. You're separating choice from consequence, love from life. It's this contraceptive culture of separating body and soul. And by definition, that's death. And it has a beginning, and it began in the Garden of Eden when we see the separation of God's will and human will, when with our free will, we reject God. And so there's this material atheism is rampant, a so-called science that material is objective, the spiritual is subjective. So the, the separation, again, this division and divorce of the subjective and the objective. So you can create your own world where nothing is real, nothing to get hung about, strawberry fields forever. The only thing that's real is material, is science, and you see how it affects the, the healthcare. The healthcare industry is where you're going in and they treat your body, but they don't care about your soul. And so you can imagine, now here's a situation, he kind of points this out too in this book, you know, where, okay, Mr. Wiggly, you know, you're, you have high blood pressure and diabetes, so we'll treat that with more drugs. Okay, you're, you're, you're treating the symptom, but you're not dealing with, 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 the, with the cure and the cause. Where's this coming from? So you can imagine whole medicine should be the whole person, body, soul, and spirit. And so, Mr. Wiggly, you know, the, you have this high blood pressure because you're, you're eating too much, you know, and you have this obesity because you're depressed. And you're depressed because you have these deep wounds that come from your childhood that need healing. And so, yeah, all levels need to be treated. But if we're just separating the body from the soul, again, by definition, that's death. And it's happening in our healthcare industry. They can make lots of money because people are sick. And we'll just have them buy more money, more medicine, more drugs. It's this drugged-up culture of treating symptoms leads to a culture of death. Atheism, it seems, is a reaction to suffering. Um, death and the evil in the world if god is real why is there and and he's good which is what we're taught why is there so much evil in the world yes yes and we really do have to pause and, and really enter into the wounds of again whenever you're confronting your own wounds or the wounds of someone else it's important that we we have a moment of silence you know that we just ponder and and, and enter into the the pain and the suffering of of those who are suffering and the afflicted. And, and again, that's Jesus' question on the cross is, my God, my God, why? You know, why have you forsaken me? And when he asked that question, why, there was silence. In fact, the sky turned black and dark. And so 
in some sense, everyone has to go through the dark night of the sense, soul, and spirit, where we're forsaken, abandoned, and nothing can console us. Nothing but God. And we're crying out for God. It's these beautiful psalms of lamentations. Deep is calling on deep, says Psalm 42 or Psalm 130. Out of the depths of my heart, I cry to you, and, and Lord, there's only one who can satisfy, and he alone. So, yeah, certainly we can speak of evil as the consequence of free will. We have free will. Angels have free will. Because of fallen angels and our fallen nature in this fallen world, we have all kinds of consequences of separating, again, God from humanity. And that kind of divorce leads us into this darkness of suffering and people crying out. And yet we're called to enter into their pain and suffering, but with the wounds of Christ, that there is an answer. Um, so, so going on, the other kinds of atheisms can definitely use this almost as their anthem. <laughs> it's because of we, suffering and because of death and because of evil, we know there is no God. And so it can lead then to this emotional, the third kind of, of atheism after the practical and the material is an emotional atheism called relativism where I am so wounded, so I will medicate myself with all kinds of philosophies and ideologies and religions that make me feel good about myself. And don't, you know, don't impose your religion on me, so each to its own, there really is no truth, you know, good and evil, and we don't want to offend anyone, so we can get caught up into this, this relativism. As we see Pontius Pilate saying, <laughs> you know, truth, what is truth? And then he goes to the crowds. What do you think? What do you think? What should we do with this Jesus, you know? Um, and that's what's happening is what uh, Pope Benedict calls a dictatorship of relativism. That, that relativism has this emotional reaction because we're in so much pain, you know? And because we have so much, therefore we have, for instance, um, sexual freedom and you, church, don't have any right to tell us what to do with our bodies in our bedroom. And we get kind of scared, you know, and we'll say, okay. And so we can become caught up in this emotional atheism of never offending people's feelings. So, you know, you might call it cancer, but don't tell me it's cancer because then you're going to be offending my feelings. And so, okay, I wouldn't tell you the, the full truth because maybe it's not true. And so, again, this confusion relativism is emotional. And then it leads to the spiritual atheism. And the spiritual atheism is, you know, being tolerant to good and evil are just an illusion, you know. So should, you know, Christ or the or Brabus? Well, you know, why not Brabus, you know? And so, and so let's just tolerate, you know, all kinds of, of, of religions and beliefs. And it's a spiritual atheism that, well, because we know God doesn't exist, then the spiritual atheism is called pantheism, which is the universe, which is the sum total of space and time. You know, it's a spiritual atheism where there's nothing outside of space and time. We're, we're trapped in this, and the, the most of it is to make it into a religion called the spiritual atheism, called pantheism. Right. So, and the last one then leads to a militant atheism, where crucify him. You know, and and he is he's being crucified as, as a criminal. And so we do see this woke cancel culture which is not tolerant just the opposite of tolerance we're intolerant and so we're gonna throw down the the statue of saint junipero serra and 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 we're gonna label people even to the point we see statues falling the next thing that's gonna fall are believers christians who are devout who are speaking truth even 
even unto the cross. And that's what we have to prepare for. Are we going to deny Jesus? Are we going to choose atheism? Or are we going to choose the way, the truth, that leads us to the cross, but through the cross will lead us to everlasting life? We have to do the hard work. We have to not be afraid that we're going to insult someone by speaking of God or saying, God bless you. You know, so often in society today, we are asked to shield our faith, to deny it, much like Peter, because we don't want to insult someone. We're in a meeting and somebody doesn't want to bring up God. We want to bring up a higher power. We want to bring up the universe, but we don't want to talk about God. So I think we have a lot to learn after today's episode. Courage. And it's it's a narrow gate, again, because we need to be pastoral. So people who are sexually wounded in all kinds of perhaps in lawless relationships, but they're wounded. So again, we have to be careful. It's surgery here because <laughs> every soul is precious. You know, no matter what they look like on the outside or what they're doing, um, they are a soul that Jesus gladly lays down his life and dies for. And so that, 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 that fear of God, it's pastoral and the doctrinal. The doctrinal, absolutely, there is an absolute truth to follow. And there's only one compass that leads us to heaven. Well, Thank you once again, Father Will, for sharing your wisdom on all of this. We're running out of time. Can you send us off with a prayer? Oh, gladly. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a Father and we are your children. You care for us. And we cast all our cares onto you because you care for us. To that end, release your Holy Spirit upon all our listeners and viewers with the wounds of Christ to be healed and truth to set them free to love. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.